We are in the book of Nehemiah, so if you want to make your way there, and if you're watching online, I would encourage you to get your Bible out and uh, follow along with us. It's always good to have your Bible, whether you're in church or if you happen to be at home or you're listening to this uh, uh, delayed, that you get your Bible out, make your notes, follow along, read what I said, make sure it's what it says there and it's accurate. It's always good to do that. So I encourage you to continue on um, and always have your Bible with you. Also, um, for you guys that are going through the New Testament with us in a year, just continue to keep up the good work. I know we repeat through the Gospels a little bit, and by the time you get to John, it seems like we've heard the stories a lot, but I just encourage you to continue to press through and enjoy that time as we're going through the New Testament there through the Bible app. Okay, well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. And uh, again, this is the last book of history before the New Testament, even though we're still just seeming like uh, not too far into the Old Testament. But as far as chronologically goes, you know, Nehemiah is really the last book in the Old Testament as far as timeline. So when Nehemiah heads off the scene, um, then you would have that 400 or so year intertestimal gap, and then you would have obviously the coming of John the Baptist and, you know, Zechariah, uh, hearing about that in Luke chapter 1. So just so you have some sense of where that is, historically at least, or chronologically in time. But uh, we are in chapter 4 tonight, and so let's go before the Lord, and we'll pick it up in verse 1. And Father, now as we turn to your word, we ask that you'd move in our hearts and in our midst, Lord, that you would draw us close, that we might hear from you and see all that you have to show us tonight, reveal it to us, Father, that we may again know you more and be drawn closer to you and experience uh, all that you want to have uh, and show us all that you want to uh, reveal to us tonight, Father, for we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so remember Nehemiah had this vision from the Lord to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, and he had insight to the Persian emperor, or ruler, or king at that time. Uh, he was the cupbearer, um, and again, probably more than just a food taster and a poison checker, um, because he had access to the, to the king and to the queen, and they knew him, and they knew him well enough when his mood had changed a little bit when he found out how Jerusalem was doing so poorly um, that they actually noticed that. And, of course, the Lord had him in that position, put it in his heart to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. The king asked and queen asked to set a period of time, which was about 12 years. He said, I, then I'll come back. And so we know that, you know, he left and he had surveyed the, <coughs> the walls um, for about three days after he got there, he had three days of rest or so, and he was kind of surveying what was going on. He presented to the people, hey, this is what the Lord's put on my heart. They were all excited about it. And, and then uh, chapter 3 was all about the people and who worked and what part on the wall. Um, and so I'll, a couple pictures here. So, Ken, this is the... The wall uh, that, that Nehemiah builds, and there's all those gates there, and then the lighter color line kind of goes off to the left, and to the top there's the current walls of Jerusalem. 
Uh, and then the next picture, is, again, is just an older picture of the wall of Nehemiah, what it looks like from the top. They've actually uh, uncovered it, and so you get a sense of what it looked like. Here's another view of part of it they've uncovered, and you can see the person in the top right uh, corners to give you some sense of how thick the wall was, which was about nine feet thick, but, you know, again, it wasn't always straight up and down, you know, depending on the topography and, you know, how the the hills went, the terrain went, you know, they would make it at an angle to hold it up. And, you know, there was all sorts of things they had to do in building. And uh, here's one more shot. And you can kind of see it from a bird's eye picture here of the wall that we just looked at that they've uncovered. And the uh, red or orange or whatever color that um, square is in the upper right hand corner is just, you know, one of the towers. So it gives you a sense what a tower looked like and then the wall look like so you get a pretty good sense pretty high pretty wide and and again a lot of work there so um, that's what they were building and so verse one tells us so it happened when sam ballot heard that they were rebuilding the wall that he was furious and indignant and mocked the jews and he spoke before his brethren and the army of samaria and said what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they fortify themselves? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they complete it in a day? Will they receive, well, I'm sorry, will they revive the stones from the heaps of rubbish, stones that are burned? Now Tobiah the Am Ammonite was by his side and he said, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. So here now, as we left off in chapter 3, we have a, a couple of the enemies of the Jews, and we've been introduced to them even back in ne uh, Ezra's day, and, and certainly in Nehemiah here, it's coming along. Those the people are building the wall, then comes out the mockers and maybe the, the put-downers, they're putting them down, the ridiculers are out there making fun of them, and and, and, you know, making a mockery out of that. And it kind of seems like these guys are outside the city walls and, you know, Sam Ballot had his army with him. So, you know, it was a, you know, sizable uh, uh, threat, if you would, in that sense. And, you know, and then along came Tobiah, it seems like, and, you know, they're looking at what's going on and they really start cutting into them. Yeah, come on, these guys think they can actually do something with this mess? There's no way, you know, as their people are walking around, as they see all this going on. And, and again, um, you know, they're just being mocked out. They're being put down. They're being ridiculed. And, you know, sometimes those are the most difficult attacks that we face. Um, you know, they're verbal bullets, if you would. And it hurts, you know, not maybe, maybe not physically, but, you know, being intensely made fun of and mocked and ridiculed and put down, it's, it's difficult to, uh, you know, stand up against that. You know, when somebody's belittling you and putting you down, uh, in this case, their, their service and their work for the Lord and what the Lord called them to do, it's, it's, it's difficult. I remember years ago working in the oil refinery that I worked in, you know, and everybody knew I was a Christian, and there were some guys there that were just you know, would come in and in a room full of people had no problem just calling me out, you know, and I, I've told the story before, but, you know, there's one guy who'd see me and he would just yell at the top of his voice, Moses, are you going to part the Red Sea for us? And, 
you know, uh, you know, all sorts of stuff like that. He used to say all kinds of things, and I've had him, you know, just go off, you know, for no reason. I'm just standing there walking or doing my job or whatever, and they were just like blankety blank, Christian blankety blank. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. And, um, you know, we know what that's like. Most of us have experienced that to a certain degree or another. And, um, you know, hearing all this abuse and mocking and ridiculing is, is, is very difficult to do. Um, you, you know, it, it's like, what are you guys going to accomplish? You know, there's not, you're not going to do anything with this. There's just no way you can do anything. And all this hard work, what's it really going to amount to? You know, that's what they were doing here. And in, in some ways, you know, these guys had it right. We talked about this last time. It is, it, it was an impossible looking job. And, um, you, you know, they were making fun of how difficult it was and how inexperienced they were. And, um, and they were right. You know, we talked about the last time. Some guys were perfumers and, and goldsmith, highly skilled people, or, or the, the priests and the Levites who were, you know, the religious leaders, and, and, you know, they're not skilled masons and builders, and, and everybody else were just farmers or ranchers or, you know, uh, you know, orchard, they were taking care of orchards or something, you know, not a whole lot of people that were really skilled in that area, but they were willing. And so in this case, they're, they're right, you know, who are we to do such things? And they'll point that out. You don't have the experience, the training, the schooling, or the ability to do that. And, you know, when we get those kind of put-downs and those kind of mockings and those kind of ridicule, uh, you know, what they always underestimate and what they, or they don't know is the grace and the power of God. You see, they discounted that completely. And in his, you know, calling is his, you know, uh, um, giving them what they need. He, he gives them what, what people need, what we need when, you know, his gifts and calling come from him. And he'll equip us with what we need when we need it to accomplish his will. And uh, we need to remember that. And you're right. Who am I? Who, you know, what am I? I nothing. But I know my God is great. And I know he could use... Uh, anybody, and I'm just the willing person to do that. And again, we just have to to be that willing heart, and He will give us what we need to accomplish His will. But again, when we set our faces to do that, you know, to do His will and to be available and to serve Him and, and do all those things that we know that we're called to do in general, like, you know, I know I should be reading the Bible, I know I should be praying, I know I should be going to church, and, you know, all those things, when we set our hearts on those things, you know there's always going to be, uh, you know, that discouragement that's going to come in, that, you know, the enemy wants to discourage. And that was going on here, certainly. And, and they're starting out here, again, with the mocking and the ridiculing here, and sadly, you know, it, it, it's so powerful in some people's lives that I think there's some that won't enter the kingdom of God because this kind of attack. They just, you know, oh, I don't want to be made fun of. I don't want to be ridiculed. I don't want to be put down. And, you know, they're very fearful of, of all that. And, um, you know, they ridicule you on your faith or any step of faith or the work of God in your life. And, and some people just can't take it. Um, 
And again, it's happening in this day. It happens in our day and age, and we just need to remember that. Um, people, there's people out there that just would love to blast you and any reason that they can for anything because of you being a Christian. You know, they just hate the things of the Lord, and they're so opposed to it that they see any representation of that, and they just want to you know, ridicule, ridicule you and put you down. And today, of course, it happens. You know, the first thing they like to do is if you, you know, talk about Christian or sharing your faith, you know, then there's always somebody that says, ah, you're bigoted. You're one of those bigoted, narrow-minded, you know, homophobic haters, you know, uh, this and that. And, you know, the, you know, when you share your faith, you're always expecting maybe or thinking, you know, somebody's going to be pop out and say that kind of stuff because it does happen. And they love to attack that way, you know, bigoted home. You know, here's a picture of, um, uh, you know, the Southern uh, Poverty Law Center, you know, uh, and they love to put out, you know, hate organizations and label them all. And there's amazing that there's a handful of Christian groups there that are, you know, from what I know, I don't know any of them personally, but are just godly. But they, you know, again, they end up being part of this hate group, which is, you know, filled up with extremist KKK people and filled up with, uh, you know, other, uh, you know, extreme uh, um, kind of groups like that and white supremacists and this kind of radical people and hate the taxes kind of people and all that, you know. Uh, they, 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 they lump in like Family Research Council that, you know, is out of focus of the family. And, of course, you notice associated extremist profiles. You notice there it was Tony Perkins is, is in there and then uh, General William uh, Jerry Boykin. And I don't know if you've heard some of his testimonies before. It's pretty, pretty awesome. I've heard him speak a few times and read one of his books. And, uh, you, you know, here it is. This is. That's what's happening here. You know, if you, you stand out and you stand firm and you, you know, share your faith, you're going to get that. You're certainly going to get that. And they, people today particularly, just love to label you with these put-downs and these accusations. And if you notice that, you know, the overwhelming majority of the time, they just love to throw it out at you, right? They just like to throw it straight in your face, um, you, you know, just like, or like an evolutionist that wants to make fun of you instantly. Oh, you don't believe in evolution, man? What, are, what century are you from? Or you come on, do you have any education at all? Or something like that, right? They just launch into those verb, verbal bullets. They just uh, throw them at you and accuse you of all these things and uh, just to shoot you down. And again, they don't ever want to have a normal debate or a conversation or this is how I feel about that. How do you feel about this? It doesn't go down that way. They just, there's, there's not any solid reasoning and they might not have any solid reasoning. In fact, I think a lot of times they don't have any solid reasoning. So what they do is they just attack and accuse you of all these things and lump it on you. And then, you know, uh, and then they hope that will just, you'll just spend so much time defending yourself and trying to dig out of that. By then, you know, the conversation will be over or they'll have moved on to something else. And um, again, that happens. Now, what does Nehemiah do when these guys are doing that? Does he argue back? Does he argue with them? Does he defend his actions? No, verse 4 tells us what he does under this. And it says this, Hear, O our God, for we are despised. 
turn their reproach on their own heads and give them as plunder to the land of captivity. Verse 5, do not cover their iniquity and do not let their sin be blotted out from before you for they have provoked you to anger before the builders. So again, when all this comes down, Nehemiah responds to the ridicule by going to prayer. He goes to the Lord over all of this. And, uh, you know, he doesn't feel like he has to defend it and doesn't have to go over there and explain himself or justify or try to get them to understand what they're trying to do. And I think there's a case for doing that. I think there's a case, you know, for when somebody's, you know, trying to heap all that out and say that on there to, you know, actually confront them a little bit and really, okay, where's the facts that this is how I am? You know, you're, loop- you're lumping me in some sort of group that you've created and, you know, you calling me this and this. Tell me one thing I did that was bigoted or that was homophobic or that was I was a hater. One thing, just give me, you know, I'm not saying we can't, you know, can't and shouldn't do that. But, but again, Nehemiah, you know, goes right to the Lord. Lord, you know what's going on. You know what's happening. You take care of it. You deal with their attacks. Uh, they're just trying to discourage your people. And so, you know, um, you know, I can try to tamp out a few fires here and there, but, you know, this is a big onslaught. And, of course, they do have the threat of a, of a, of a, of a you know, I don't know what size army with Sanballat, but they were there. And, uh, you know, this is not something that, uh, that I'm going I'm to just leave it in your hands. And, of course, you know, under the Old Testament, uh, you know, Nehemiah is like, get them, Lord. You know, you, you, <laughs> you know, put back on them what they're dishing out and more. And, uh, you know, that's what he does because he knows what that's really happening to the people, all the discouragement that's going on there. And he just goes to the Lord and asks the Lord to deal with it. And that's always a great idea. Uh, always an, an important thing that we should do. Uh, always go to prayer. Lord, how would you have me deal this? Lord, what do you want me to say? Is there something you want me to do? Is there something you don't want me to do? Or how is it? You know, going to the Lord is always important to get His plan and His will, uh, particularly in situations like this. And He just leaves it in His hand. And verse 6 says, So we built the wall... And the entire wall was joined together up to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So, you know, as this ridicule is going on, and and, and again, we did talk about some opposition earlier on, but, you know, now it's coming in and they're really trying to discourage them, but they're still working. And look what happens, you know, in a few weeks, literally, the wall is half its height. And again, I think this is mentioned here for a very important reason because, you know, when you are halfway into a project, that can be a time where it can be the most discouraging. You know, like a project you're doing at home or maybe at work or something or at school. And, you know, you don't have the excitement when you're first starting off something and you don't have the, you know, uh, the motivation to see it almost done. You're kind of just halfway and it's kind of that point, you know, how many projects have you started that you got halfway through and just, you know, gave up and, you know, somebody's nagging on you to finish it up. I I have a couple of those projects 
you know, around the house here that I started that I never finished. And, uh, you know, it's one of those kind of halfway things because it was got in, got it going. And then, man, this is the big projects and you're halfway there and it's going to take so long. And you kind of just, again, you lose the motivation or the excitement. And um, that's what's going on here. So we have a little bit of a understanding of what's going on with the people and particularly with half height in their case, um, remember the walls were knocked down. I imagine some of them were knocked from the out, outside in, some from the inside out, and all sorts of ways. You know, when the, the, uh, the Babylonians came in and Nebuchadnezzar gave the order to knock down all the walls, I mean, they didn't care how they were knocked down. They were just going to try to knock them all down. So you imagine there was rubble everywhere. And now you're halfway. Again, it's difficult. You have to really plan and think about it because you can't just lift materials, you know, from the outside in or even to the inside out because now you have to lift them over a wall or, or a wider wall or a higher wall. So you have to kind of plan ahead of that. So it's difficult. You might have to, you know, do some work on the inside and then walk down quite a ways. I don't know how many hundreds of yards and then come back out and then work on the outside and go around. So you know, it was hard to get on both sides of the wall when you're starting to get to that height. You couldn't just hop over and hop back and hop over. And so um, the attack of ridicule really hits hard at this time. And I find that to be, you know, true in our lives as well. You know, when we're serving the Lord and the Lord's given us, you know, something to do or, you know, something to be a part of. And, you know, you kind of go through it a part of the way and then things aren't happening the way maybe you thought they would. I mean, I just, you know, a number of people that have started, you know, home Bible studies or even, you know, churches and they, you know, get part the way down, half the way down and it's not working out. It's a lot harder. Things, I kind of pictured it a different way. And it's a, you know, it's a great time of discouragement. And then, you know, you feel like a failure kind of, or, or feel like it's taking longer, I should say, internally. And then you have externally all this ridicule coming down. Um, so it was a tough time for them, to say the least. But they were still working. So, verse 7 tells us, Now it happened when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, and the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the walls of Jerusalem were being restored and the gaps were beginning to be closed, that they came, became very angry and all of them conspired together to come and attack Jerusalem and create confusion. So first they're ridiculing them, they're putting them down, they're making fun of them and mocking them and all that kind of stuff. And now, you know, it, it didn't slow them down. They were still working. So the next attack they're really facing is intimidation. And you notice now you have kind of four groups coming against them. And I'll put this map up so you get some sort of sense. But, you know, you can see the Ashdodites, which would be the, the area of Gaza. And then, you know, the uh, Samaritans, which is, uh, you know... Uh, to buy up in that area up north and then the Ammonites to the east. And so, you know, pretty much surrounding the whole nation are all these enemies and the intimidation is coming from all sides. That's the point here. 
and uh, they are angry. They see it's going on, and now they they're they're turning from just mocking and making fun and ridiculing to intimidation. It's like this, maybe. You're gonna pay if you continue to do this. It's gonna cost you. That that's the kind of you know uh, intimidation that's going on. And again, and this can be another great cause for discouragement. And a person thinks, man, if I do this, I'm going to be in some serious trouble. And, you know, people, I don't know, maybe it doesn't seem to be worth the fight and to be steadfast in this or to be faithful. Maybe the price is too high to do this. And, uh, you know, a lot of people get to that, that point. And we're getting to that point in our country where... You know, standing up for your faith is going to cost us something. Right now, it costs us ridicule and maybe putting us down. But as you can see, um, how things are coming, and it's coming, and it's going to be, you know, it's going to hit us like a, you know, four by four across the, the head. You know, because you can see when they want to punish somebody now, whether it's Putin in Russia or, you know, uh, somebody that's spouting off ideas that they don't like. Uh, you know, some podcast people or they're, you know, writing statements on Twitter or Facebook or social media. And if they don't like them, freedom of speech is out the window. You know, what they'll do is they'll, yes, they'll ridicule you and they'll put you down, but then they start banishing you and they start penalizing you. And, you know, uh, again, companies won't let you do this or have this or go there or be a part of this. And, and eventually, you know, the government's going to back that up. Uh, there's laws on, on, on the California books and have been for many years. I, I go through this training, you know, every year, uh, you know, about all these laws that we have and, and all these laws about, you know, discrimination and so forth. And, you know, they would just make your hair stand up if we all really knew what they were. And actually just having a church service like this, reading uh, particular Bible verses and talking about some of the, the subjects that are found in the Bible, uh, you know, you, you're breaking the law. I mean, quite frankly, you really are. They, you know, that's breaking those laws that have been passed. And I know those ordinances, you know, not state laws, but the city has ordinances and the county and, you know, one day that, that they're, they're going to flip the switch and they're going to come on and it's going to say, listen, you can't say that. You can't talk about this. Well, the Bi I don't care what the Bible says right here. You just can't say that. It's, it's, you know, it's hurtful. It's hateful. It's discriminatory. And you are, you know, you are, uh, you are committing a hate crime. And that's where people are going to, oh man, okay, maybe I should just dial it down a little bit. Churches are, you know, going to be put in that position. Well, maybe this price is too high. Well, we don't want to be, you know, snuffed out and have them close the doors on the church. So we'll just dial it down and, you know, so that we can stay, you know, still relevant to a certain degree in society. Uh, you know, there's going to be that, we're going to be faced with that. And we're going to be faced with that personally and corporately as as believers and as churches and you know there's going to be a time where they say well you're you're a christian you believe those things well yes i do well we, we can't have those kind of people here uh, working at this company because uh, you know that's discriminatory and that that's really a hate crime and we're not going to support that uh, you, you know what's going to be coming your people are going to be losing their jobs over those kind of things you know they're they're losing their jobs over not getting a vaccination from uh the covid you know so much for 
what's the abortionists always say? My body, my choice. <laughs> that worked great for abortion, right? They want my body, my choice, but all comes to COVID. Uh, your body, our choice. You're going to get those shots. Now, I personally have them. I don't have a problem with it, but there are people that are, and I, I, if you don't want to have it, hey, that's your decision. I don't have a problem with that, but they're, you know, people are being fired from their jobs because of it. So it's just a matter of time before that's going to roll out, and we're going to have to make a decision whether I'm going to stand and do what's right and be faithful, Lord, and allow you to work things out the way you see things to be worked out, or you know, are we going to fold? And these guys had some real serious threats here, and they're facing them right now. But I like verse 9, because nevertheless we made our prayer to our God, and because of them, we set a watch against them day and night. And I like this. What they do because of this, they prayed and then they moved into action. You know, a lot of people get stuck here. You know, okay, I'll pray, but I'm just going to keep praying and praying. And some people, quite frankly, use prayer as a cover uh, for laziness. And there's others who rush off without praying first and go head first into it. And that's not good either. Here Nehemiah prays, trusts the Lord, while setting a watch for any attacks. And, you know, again, uh, there's the Lord's instructions and our response. He knows he's called them to build the wall. We know that the Lord has called them to do that, has sent them there. The calling is clear. Everything is clear. And so, yes, Lord, we're going to trust in you. And we realize that they, you know, they have a real physical presence here and it could come against us. And so we are going to set a watch. But it's not going to stop us from moving into action. We, we realize this is what you want us to do. And be aware of it because you've made us aware of it and we're coming to you and we're going to continue on and trust that you're going to do it. But we're going to also set the watch. So if they do come, we're ready. And I think that's great. I think there's a great case for that. In fact, I think that's a, a very good way to approach almost everything. You know, there is time where we have to wait, certainly, and there is patience. But when God's called us to do things, and there are certain things that we're called in, and it doesn't really isn't a matter of waiting or this or that. He's called us to do those things. Then, you know, we keep seeking Him and asking for His guidance and His protection, and, you know, moves, we move into action. And uh, that's exactly what they did. Well, you can imagine what happens next, right? We're kind of going back, forth, back, forth in verse 10. Then Judah said, and this is the group of the people from Judah, which was probably the largest group of people that had come back to the land, and they were the last ones to go out of the land. You know, Judah was, you know, the group of people that could trace their lineage back to the man named Judah, one of Jacob's sons, and that encompassed the area kind of around uh, Jerusalem and that whole area there. So this group of men, then Judah, it's not one person, it's the group from Judah, said, the strength of the laborers is failing, and there is so much rubbish that we are not able to build the wall. And our adversaries said, they will neither know nor see anything till we come into their midst and kill them and cause the work to cease. So it was when the Jews 
who dwelt near uh, them came that they told us ten times. For from whatever place you turn, they will be upon us. So now, as we see, it, it, again, the, the stakes go up a little bit more. We now see the effect of ridicule, and then the intimidation comes along. Uh, we know with them being half done, and, and again, some of the people are, become, uh, are becoming discouraged at that time as well. And, you know, these guys are threatening them, and there's still so much to do. Uh, they look at that. They look at the, you know, the ridicule, then the intimidation, and now there are threats coming in, right? And, uh, and these guys are looking, oh, there's so much more to do, and, and, you know, we're just tired. We've been working so hard. And, and then we keep hearing them say that because, you know, again, uh, uh, a lot of them, most of them, didn't live in Jerusalem. So they would be going back to their homes and their areas at night probably, or at least, you know, uh, one or two days. And, uh, or, or, you know, or other people would come and bring them food from, you know, where they lived. You know, they were getting the message that from these guys that the threats were coming and, and they were really going to catch them when they were least expecting it. And... They're tired, and it seems like a lot. And basically, these guys from Judah are saying it's so much work, I just don't think we can do it any longer. Um, it's a very difficult position. Now, Nehemiah and the, and the rest of the people are feeling, you know, the same thing, but the guys in Judah now are just ready to quit. They really are. Um, uh, again, it's something we need to learn. There's going to be those people that, you know, aren't maybe the same as us. They don't, uh, they maybe they just don't hold on to the vision that the Lord is, is, is given everyone as strongly as you do. Or maybe, you know, they just, uh, those things affect them more. They, you know, they're more sensitive to the threats and the ridicule and the intimidation and all that, and and they look at the work, and they're tired, and they don't have the same kind of work ethic, maybe that you do, and you know, sometimes the ones we count on uh, want to quit, and that's that's a real hard thing um, to have happen, um, particularly in the church, you know, when you're serving alongside of somebody and then all of a sudden they just like, you know, I'm kind of done with this. I'm going to move to Idaho <laughs> or I'm going to move over here. or I'm going to do this. And, you know, I'm, I'm sick of California or this is just too hard or nothing seems to be happening like I thought it was. So I'm just going to pull the plug. And sometimes those are the, 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 the eternal, internal, I should say, not eternal, internal, um, discouragement like that is sometimes some of the hardest to deal with. When you thought you'd be serving with them and laboring with them for years and then they just kind of, you know, pack it in and, and leave. And um, um, again, it's, it's, it, it discouraged everybody. And that's where these guys pretty much were. They were just ready to, to quit. And again, we need to understand and learn this. Uh, I think it's because it's one of the, again, it's another one of those ploys that, that the devil has in his pocket that he whips out pretty, pretty often. Um, you know, it's this battling and never getting anything done. 
Sometimes in our mind we think, oh, okay, I'll wait for the calm in my life and then you know, I'll be able to do this and accomplish this and be faithful there and provide this or give this or do this or whatever it might you know, particular. We're waiting for it to reach a certain point, a, a certain calmness or a certain amount of this or something and then you know, we're waiting for it to get there and, and, and then you know, we'll do that. But if we do that, we'll really never accomplish anything for the Lord. We, we just don't. You understand that's a, a position that people can get stuck in. You know, I've, I've known people over the years that, you know, almost every time I talk to them, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm just under attack. <laughs> oh, just, you know, I was attacked today. I was attacked yesterday. Oh, this is attack. You know, uh, they're always talking about how difficult it is here and how difficult it is there and how difficult. And, you know, you've been around those and maybe you've found yourself being the Eeyore kind of person <laughs> as well. But, you know, um, and, you know, we can get so focused on the battle and, you know, the problems and the difficulties and it's this hard at work. It's hard at home. It's hard in the neighborhood, it's hard in my family, it's hard in this, it's hard everywhere. And then we just, you know, walk around that everything is just so difficult and feeling the pressure from all these different sides and, and all this. And, and, you know, you just live under that and, and, you know, you're waiting to let your head pop up of water, but it never happens. And then you just never accomplish anything for the Lord. Um, and you get so focused on the battle and the treatment and how people are treating you or not treating you or what's happening here and what's happening there that you never get on with the building. We need to learn how to build under pressure or else nothing will get done because the enemy attacks are always going to be there. And as a matter of fact, if anything we know from scriptures, particularly in the last days, they will become more frequent and they will become becoming stronger, I believe. I believe that, you know, that will, the pressure will increase and not decrease as we get closer to the coming of the Lord and the rapture of the church. So we need to learn to build and be faithful and serve the Lord under pressure and not let the pressure, pressure, pressure. You know, I just had such a terrible day. I just need to go home and sit in front of the, you know, the TV. And I, you know, I can tell you, you know, or I just need to relax in the hot tub, or I need to do this or whatever. And trust me, those days are always the days that, you know, something's going on, like church. You know, it's going to be a Wednesday night, or it's going to be a Sunday morning. Oh, Saturday was so busy. I was running the kids around this. I had to fix this. I had to take the car in. Well, you know, it's, oh, I just, I just need to relax. And it's always going to be, you know, when there's something going on, like church services or you know, a fellowship thing or, a, you know, serving the Lord or you're supposed to do that or read the Bible or pray or whatever it might be, you know, you can bet it's going to happen around that. And, and if we just allow those things to be so overwhelming that we'll just, we'll never learn to build and, and then you'll just give up. And I've seen so many people, sadly, that just get in that spot. They just, oh, it's just too hard, it's so difficult. And they just give up and they just quit. And they just pull the plug and they like, well, what's the use? What's the purpose? There's so much to do and I never seem to get ahead and, and it's always so much pressure and I have enough pressure and everything else in life. It just, it just, and that's what the enemy does. Just knocks them down. 
And, and again, uh, this fear and intimidation is just another tool for discouragement. But it's going to be there. And we again, we have to learn how to build under pressure. Well, verse 13 tells us the pressure's there. These guys want to quit, you know. And of course, if they do that, it's just an influence for a lot of other people that are struggling, you know. And so what does Nehemiah do? Verse 13, Therefore I positioned men behind the lower parts of the wall at the openings, and I set people according to their families with their swords, their spears, and their bows. And I looked, and I arose and said to the nobles, to the leaders, and to the rest of the people, Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord, great and awesome, and fight for your brethren, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So what Nehemiah does is he puts people to protect the weak spots in the wall. You guys need to make a stand. And I'm going to put people in those weak spots that will be an encouragement, that will stand their ground, that will, uh, won't, aren't, aren't discouraged, that are, are faithful and want to continue to press on and move forward and, and get the work done. Um, and that's great encouragement. And, and he encourages them with that, and then he encourages them with reminding them, this is the Lord's battle. It's His work. This is an all-or-nothing thing. Remember, it's not about you. <laughs> it's about all you hold dear. And all too often, you know, people, when they get discouraged, well, it's just causing me this, and it's hurting me in this area, and it's taking time away in that area, and it's costing me this, and, and you know, and it's, you know, putting pressure on that, and it's, it's just all about me. Me, 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 how it's affecting me, how it's relating to me. It, it's, it's not about, you know, it never gets the thought of, hey, it's not about me. It's, it's about you, Lord. It's about all the things that you've done in my life and all the things that I hold dear. That's what it's all about. And I know there's a lot of work to be done and it's not going to be easy, Nehemiah says, but the Lord is going to be with us. And again, I'll, I'll set those people up, you know, in the weak spots to encourage them and strengthen the weak and those that are feeling discouraged and putting them along and encouraging them and getting their focus back and right. And, and uh, you know, so they'll, they'll press forward and move on and continue to serve the Lord and, and continue to do the work of the Lord. You know, our church is, for the most part, uh, not always, but for the most part, um, you know, it's always been pretty small. And we've, we've had many people through the years just kind of come and they go and they come and they, oh, well, it's small. You guys don't have a very large youth group or you don't have a big, you know, children's ministry or you don't have this kind of activity or you don't have that and you don't have this and you know, and then so they, they come once or twice and well, we really like it. You know, the people are great and we like the teaching and all this is great, but you don't have this, you don't have that, or this isn't very big or this isn't, you know, what I kind of hope for and this or that or whatever. And, you know, um, you know, it's always discouraging when you see that. And I, my, my thought always has been is, you know, well, why don't you stay? And I, I know it's going to be work. 
But if that's, you know, the ministry that you feel is important and you think it's good, then why don't you stay and, and, and shore that up or be a part of it or serve in some way or, or maybe even lead in some way? And uh, it, so it's not just about what you're going to get out of it, but what you can put into it and how you can serve. And it's sad that it seems like, and I know I'm throwing numbers out, but, you know, this is just my perspective and my experience. Uh, you know, it seems like 90% of the people come to the church, it's all about me. What am I going to get out of it? How, you know, how am I going to get fed to the people like me? It's, it's, it's always something about me, and there's just a small percentage that, you know, it's not about me. Lord, you, you have me here, and that's what I'm answering the call. It may not be exactly everything that I wanted, but this is where you have me, and you have me here, and I'm going to serve, or I have a vision for this, and this area could be shored up, and this area could be helped out, and I'm just going to step in and do it. It's not about me. It's about your kingdom. It's about your people, and I want to be part of the solution and not part of the, you know, I'm, I'm you know waiting to get, you know, what I can get out of it, and... That's such the mature view is to think in those terms. Lord, where do you have me? And that's where I'm going to go. And that's where I'm going to be faithful. But it always seems to be that, you know, the, the smallest percentage that, that have that heart. And, you know, it seems like, again, 10% of the people, you know, give towards the church and 90% not, you know, whether it's financial or of their time and effort and energy. And it's kind of kind of sad because they kind of get into this whole thing. It's all about me. And uh, what do I get out of it? And what, you know, what, how's it going to benefit me? Rather than, Lord, what, where have you called me to do? How do you want me to serve? How do you want me to work? And I'll leave all those things, uh, you know, for you to put it all together and make it work in this area. I, I just know what I'm called to do. And if you're not sure, that's always a great thing. You know, and wherever you go, you should know this is where I've called to go. And then you're involved and you serve. And, and, and what part? I don't know. But the Lord has a part. And maybe a few parts. And maybe many parts. But that's what he's doing. He's showing up those weak people. And again, uh, it's not going to be easy. But remember, it's not about you. It's about him. And it's about his calling. And what's really important in the end? What's the most important thing really in the end? Is it your comfort or is it, you know, the Lord God Almighty? Is it how you feel or, you know, His will be done? Uh, you know, important things to ask ourselves. And we all, you know, have ebbs and flows and we're down a little bit and we need to hear that or we're up and we can encourage somebody that's down and this and that. And, and that's just an important message, an important role that we all have in the church as well. So he encourages them again, protecting the weak spots, encouraging them, and reminding it's the Lord's battle, it's his work. And then verse 15, And it happened when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had brought their plot to nothing, and I think that's a good underlinable thing there, that all of us returned to the wall, everyone to his work. So when the enemies heard that their plot had been discovered, they don't attack, and, and now, you know, those that were positioned in the lower parts and the openings and, you know, working as security and encouragement in those weak spots, now they can also go back to the construction. But you notice who foiled the attack? It was the Lord. 
They trusted in the Lord to take care of them, and He did. And, and you know, you, you just can never go wrong trusting in the Lord. You never can. And that's exactly what they did here. And we see that the Lord, you know, revealed to them what was going on. They responded in prayer and in action. And then, you know, the Lord uh, dissipated that threat. And, and so now they weren't going to come and sneak up and attack. But again, it's not over. The wall's not complete. So verse 15, So it was from that time on that half of my servants worked at construction while the other half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and wore armor. Wore armor. And the leaders were behind all the house of Judah. Those who built on the wall and those who carried burdens loaded themselves so that they with one hand uh, so that with one hand, I'm sorry, they worked at construction and with the other held a weapon. Every one of the builders had a sword girded at his side as he built, and the one who sounded the trumpet was beside me. So now they realize these guys could still come and attack, and they have an attack. The Lord, you know, prevented that attack, but he knew that they still could rally up and come. And so the, that doesn't stop them from doing the work. They know the enemy could possibly attack at any minute. This could really come. So they, at the same time, they prepare themselves uh, for battle, but they continue on with the project. And, and again, we know that as believers, as Christians, that the attacks are going to come. They're going to happen. And, you know, we, we should always just prepare ourselves in, in some sense, in some way, you know, depending on what it is and what the Lord has us to do and what we're involved in. But we always have the sense, I listen, I know the attacks are going to come. I know it's going to happen. And, uh, you know, but it's not going to stop me from doing the work. Um, uh, again, it should be the way with us. We have a calling. There's going to be attacks. But, you know, we have the sword with us. And, of course, our sword is the Word of God. So when the attacks come, and again, uh, so much of the time they're spiritual attacks, so they have a spiritual, um, uh, you know, a spiritual force behind those, although they come in ridicule and intimidation and fear and all those kind of things. But we know there's a spiritual force behind that that's, that's doing that, that's trying to discourage us and cause us to quit and give up and, or be self-centered or, you know, retreat because the attacks are too much. You know, we have the sword uh, of the Word of God to, you know, cut up and defend all those attacks and realize who we're serving and what we're called to do and how the Lord's going to take care of us and all the promises that we have that He's going to see us through to the end. He's never going to leave us or forsake us, and that He loves us. You know, Jesus, when He was praying uh, there after the, um, the Last Supper, we call it, you know, He prays for them. He said, Father, I, I don't want you to take them out of the world, no, but rather that you would strengthen them. Lord, that you would, you know, Father, you would do that work in and through them. And, and, and again, that was Jesus' prayer in my prayer phrase paraphrased, uh, quoting there of John, but, uh, you know, uh, but that's what Jesus, he could have snatched us up as soon as we're saved. He could have, okay, you come to me, oh, straight into heaven. He doesn't do that. He leaves us down here. He knows there's going to be spiritual battles. Jesus understood that, but he prays that we'd be strengthened. He's there to encourage us. 
that we might continue on and press forward and serve faithfully uh, even in the midst of intimidation and fear and ridicule and mockery and all those things, the discouragement on the inside and everything. Uh, we have a calling and there will be attacks, but we need to remain faithful. Verse 19 says, Then I said to the nobles, the rulers, and the rest of the people, The work is great and extensive, and we are separated far from one another on the wall. Whenever you hear the sound of the trumpet rally to us there, our God will fight for us. So we labored in the work, and half of the men held the spears from daybreak until the stars appeared. So again, yes, I know it's spread out. We're kind of spread thin. Uh, and, you know, this, you know uh, workers are spread out, and some of them have to do security. And, you know, you work during the day, and you're security at night. Others, you know, security during the day, and, you know, and do this at night. There's just, you know, there was this... Uh, all that they're going on, and you know, again, uh, and it seems like there's big gaps in between you. And you know, the enemy always wants us to think that we're alone in the work, and, and that you know, we're the only ones, or there's just a few, or this or that. He loves to give those thoughts to us that you know, we're you know, we're, we're out there, and it seems like we're the only one. But there are those who will rally to our side in a moment's notice, that's for sure. And uh, yes, it's difficult, and sometimes we're doing double duty, but, um, you know, it, it could seem like, you know, we're far separated from a, a, a lot, and maybe we're the only ones seemingly, you know, moving in that direction, but, you know, he, he just reminds us, uh, the Lord's with us, and there are far more laborers than sometimes we give credit to. Remember, Elijah felt that way. He's like, I'm the only one here standing up for you and talking about you and serving you here and all Israel and every, I'm the only one. And the Lord said, no, you know, Elijah, there, there's 7,000 other people that are just like you here that, that, that are, are doing the same thing and, and, and living for me and uh, not involved in all the sin and evil going on in, in the world around you, no. There's a lot more, and the same is true with us. And of course, the enemy always wants us to think that we're alone, and we're not. And he reminds us that you know what? You need help. You blow. I'll blow the horn, and trust me, there'll be a lot of people there. And let's finish up. At that time, I also said to the people, "Let each man and his servant stay at night in Jerusalem, that they may be our guard by night and a working party by day." So neither I, my brethren, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me took off our clothes, except that everyone took them off for washing. You know, uh, what a dedication to the work the Lord was doing. They were dedicated. They're not going to let anything stop them from the calling and the work that the Lord has given them to do. And, you know, it was like a big camp out working and sleeping party, if you would, you know. It was difficult and it wasn't comfortable and didn't provide all these, you know, comforts and this and that. You know, Nehemiah and his people didn't change into their PJs at night. They were ready at all time, day and night. And uh, again, I think that's a good question to ask ourselves. Are we ready to be used by the Lord at a moment's notice? And uh, they were. 
And, you know, they took this serious and they said, yes, we're, I'm ready at a moment's notice, Lord, to do whatever needs to be done. And I think that's a good word for a lot of us, that we need to have that in our heart. Lord, I'm, I'm ready for you at any time. There's not a, uh, you know, sometimes we put our phone off on uh, silent mode or we put it on uh, do not disturb mode or something. You know, nowadays, it's not like in the old days where you got to take a phone off the hook if you don't want it to ring or something. But, uh, you know, it's, you know, well, between these hours, it's a do not disturb. You know, for the servant of God, we, we don't set those hours on our Heavenly Father. Well, this day's not good, and this time's not good, and this, but I got a few hours here, I got 10 minutes over here, you know, and I'll try to squeeze you in this week, Lord, sometime if I can. It's not what they were doing here. That kind of attitude... Be, you know, you become one of the casualties that gets discouraged or turned away by intimidation or fear or any of those things. But, you know, the ones that stay faithful are the ones that are ready to be used the Lord by the Lord at a moment's notice. Well, amen. Let's pray and we'll pick it up next time in chapter 5. Father, we do thank you uh, for these words in this chapter, Lord, and just very appropriate for the times we live in and the situations that we're, we're faced today, Lord. And may we just learn all the important lessons that you have revealed to us tonight in your word, Lord, that we can trust in you, that we need to be faithful in your work, not to be discouraged, not to, you know, um, just get so focused on battles and problems that the work doesn't get done. Uh, we need to learn how to work um, in, in difficult times and serve because that's just the way it's going to be. It's not always going to be this way. One day we're going to have heaven and it's not even going to be a distant memory. Uh, but until that day, Lord, help us to remain faithful, ready to serve you at a moment's notice, Father. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.